0: This New America NYC event took place on March 15, 2018, and is entitled The China Hustle, a social cinema screening. This event is presented in partnership with Tumblr, and this event features Jed Rothstein, Dan David, Dune Lawrence, and Yang Fan. So I wanted to start by just talking a little bit about the genesis. I, uh, as someone who is not at all well versed in economics, um, I was struck by how clear, how clearly you delineated the sequence of events, and how you know I'm someone who like barely passed econ in college, and I came away with it, you know, having a pretty firm idea of what happened but also like any good story this felt so much larger than financial story and i was um i was left with this feeling of just hopelessness and exasperation that went beyond the billions that were lost i was you know it was almost kind of this um Really struck by how poor the human condition is, almost. Um, and uh, I wanted to ask, kind of, what brought you to the story, and um, what you know made you take on this journey.
1: That's a good question. It's actually, I'm glad you broaden it because that's what attracted me to the story. I mean, to answer the first part of it, it really is basically like we describe in the film. I met Dan, a producer. One of uh, Sarah Gibson, who's one of our producers, got us together. And uh, Dan and I met in the TGI Fridays in Penn Station, venue he chose, and uh, it was great. And we had some drinks and Dan told me this very moving story and uh, we kind of hit it off. And I was very surprised that this incredible wave of fraud had taken place really just on the heels of this last financial crisis that we all lived through and that nobody knew about it. But what attracted me most to the story was what you're talking about, this sort of larger issue. You know, can we we live in a capitalist society? Can we have a capitalist system that is also fair? And by fair, I don't mean that everybody gets the same benefit from it, but that everybody has the same opportunity and that if if information is put forward, there's a, f- a fair playing field. And this really struck me as a place where there wasn't. And so I was, I was interested in that. Uh, and I felt like Dan was really motivated by being sick of being lied to. And so I felt that that combination was was a good route to follow for telling a story.
0: And Dan, for you, I mean, you're um, on screen, you know, you're such a compelling presence. And what seems to be motivating you, again, seems to be something more than just, you know, like money. I mean, it clearly it wasn't money. There was just something else that that, that you felt was fundamentally wrong with what you were seeing. And I wanted to ask, you know, you've spent so much time with it and you know, uh, a terrific film has been made about it. Looking back, I mean, um, how do you, have your thoughts on what's happened evolved? You know, what's changed from where you were at the beginning of the
2: film to now? Those are several questions.
0: (laughs) There there, there are, take take whichever one you want to tackle first.
2: Is capitalism fair? In theory, yes but only when the laws apply to everybody that's when capitalism works when everybody is equal under the eyes of the law and when they're not and you can lie cheat and steal and keep the money that you stolen and there are no repercussions it starts to break down and that that's what shocked me so i do believe that capitalism is fair i do believe that it's still the best market system and the best form of government, but we have gone to a system where it applies to some and not others. And that is objectively wrong. It should apply to everybody equally, and you know, in spite of your economic status. How have things changed? Things have become much more difficult for me, you know, to be sure, no pun intended. China says one thing and then does another. They They say a lot of times, listen, we want to work this out, we want to work together. And then they make it harder to do research. They say, we're going to provide more transparency. And then they'll put somebody in jail that's trying to bring us more transparency. So it becomes difficult to understand what's true and what isn't true. And what what's happened with this money, we have to understand that it's billions. It's not 50 billion. It's more than that. We can't even get into the insider trading in China that we can't stop, right? So how does the SEC stop insider trading in China. Their algorithms can't ca- can't keep up with that. And they're not prosecutable. But they take this money and they buy our companies. They wanted to buy the St- Chicago Stock Exchange. I mean, what could go wrong? And they're taking money they stole from us and they're buying our companies and they're buying our jobs. And it's, it's something that we have to say that's unfair. Now, we have to be fair to China, too. And I want to be very, very clear that I'm not upset with China. I'm upset with individuals in China who committed fraud. But we've set up a system. We taught them how to lie, cheat, and steal from us. I am more upset with Americans that are willing to teach foreign operatives, foreign governments, foreign companies how to lie, cheat, and steal from fellow Americans. Because what we have to objectively know in our hearts is that if we could do it to them, we probably would but China's too smart for that. They're not gonna let us do it to them.
0: And Dune, I mean, you have been covering, um, you know, you've been a a reporter and you've written um, uh, about in reverse mergers and how in just covering, you know, everything since the financial crisis in 2008 to now, um, especially, you know, Considering how devastating 08 was, you would think that some lessons would be learned. So, in writing about it and thinking about it, now that we have progressed 2018, and so few lessons seem to have been learned. I mean,
1: regressed, maybe.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Um, what you know? So, what has that been like? I mean, um, to cover it, and can you make sense of why you know there is this regression?
3: Well. I would say that it's always sort of easy to say, oh, well, this was an exception. Like, oh, well, like these were small companies. These were from China. Oh, well, they didn't really matter that much, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And this was just sort of this new thing that we didn't really understand, and like, it's okay. But it sort of happens in waves, you know, like with every new thing that comes along. So recently, I actually have not been covering Chinese companies coming to the U.S. Mm -hmm. recently. But, you know, I've been looking at blockchain and like initial coin (laughs) offerings. And it's like the same thing there. It's sort of like, you know, there's this rush of innovation or something new or something, some really exciting opportunity, which it was with China and starting in 2004 all the way up through when everything crashed. And the lesson is that the SEC is always going to be behind like the SEC is not great at enforcement so i don't know how we get to a place where we say well we realize that it's going to be almost impossible to recover anything if things go wrong so we should have because the risk is higher we should have you know higher standards because in a lot of ways the, especially in this case the standards were lower i mean the things that i think about now are actually something that dan just mentioned which is chinese companies investing in the us Um, And in a similar way to what you saw with the reverse mergers, we really don't have a clear idea of where that the money that they are using to buy the Mm -hmm. U.S. companies, we really don't have a clear idea of where that money is coming from, you know, whether it's theirs, whether they've borrowed it. So, So, you know, this this pops up again and again.
0: Right. I mean, um, Jed, what was remarkable for me watching the film was the way nobody seemed, um, nobody was accountable. But, um, you know, one of the very first films starts off with questioning human nature, capitalism, the greed that animates all of us. And when you were untangling the question and trying to tell the story... Did you become increasingly more pessimistic? Were there moments that was, you know, leavened by hope in terms, you know, I I guess telling the story become cathartic for you at all? Or was it just like, you know, we're doomed, we're all all going to hell?
1: You know, I have made a lot of depressing films when you said, (laughs) you know, your reaction was despair and dismay. I've done films about, um, you know, the the AIDS pandemic and... (laughs) A terrible terrorist attack where a man's... Flint water crisis. People, Flint water crisis and people in comas and, you know, I've done a lot of depressing mm-hmm. stuff. So to me, this was a different area because it involves a tragedy of sorts, but nobody's really dying or not in massive numbers anyway. And mm-hmm. it's also something that we can fix. What Dune is saying is true. The SEC can't preemptively stop every fraud and then we can't make rules so restrictive that there's no freedom in the markets but i was just reading yesterday that the senate passed a law unwinding most of dodd-frank and mm-hmm. and uh President Trump has crows often about the need to remove financial regulations. It's, it's in right. the film, but he's, he says it over and over again. And I think we can take steps to rectify many of these problems. We, are, are we going to prevent fraud from happening? No, there's always going to be some fraud in the system. But I think what made this story unique is that there was no mechanism to hold people who committed fraud accountable. And I think Soren uh, Andel in the film said it best. He's like, if you put this kind of situation anywhere you're going to see rampant fraud because there's nothing really in place to stop it. And so we have a situation now where we can take steps in the right direction to remedy much of the problem. And so that to me is a, is a hopeful note. And I hope that people ask, you know, what to take away from the film and should you invest in China? And like, I don't know. I'm not the guy to ask about that. What I think people should take away from the film is that we can take steps to have a fair market. And there are things we should, we should advocate to our legislators to do to have more transparency more accountability and it will move us. It's a big battleship, but it will move us in a direction of more fairness. And I think that would be a great takeaway.
0: Dan, I mean, you are so immersed in this and you're so aware of, you know, the way these frauds have unfurled. But do you feel like there are things, I mean, there are concrete things that not only lawmakers, but kind of we as kind of you know, the every man can be doing to just be more aware and not to feed into the frenzy is, you know, is, 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 what kind of caution should we be exercising, those of us who do not exactly have, who are not in Congress with, you know, the levers of power?
2: You know, I just want to say, like, we have taken some small steps. So President Trump did stop the stock exchange sale. So we can find time to compliment somebody when he does something right, too. <laughs> Uh, and he did stop Qualcomm uh, uh, last week, which was, you know, an effort by foreign governments to maybe come in and take some of our AI technology. I think that when we're leaving someone up,
1: to run the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau who requested a zero
2: dollar budget. Uh, OK, so w- w- we'll take we'll take our opportunities to criticize and And that's what makes us American because we have free speech and we should do that. And, and I think it's it's very important that we're able to criticize because that feedback is what our government needs. Get positive reinforcement as well. Leaving that to the office of the president is a very slippery slope. Uh, had Jed not interrupted me just now, I would have said <laughs> that putting a system in place like the Federal Protection Bureau and others is really better because it doesn't change every four years or every eight years. And we have something systematic that helps all people. Uh, So I think what you can do as an individual is to say, I've been made aware of something that my government should have made me aware of, that my government was made aware of, and you did nothing about it. And the scariest thing that you can be for any of your politicians is a one issue voter. And to go to them and say, look, I care about many different issues but if you can't even fix this one thing, you're worthless to me, go away. And I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican because in equal measure, they ignored this problem. And it is fair, Mm -hmm. it is fair. I mean, we we wrote letters to Elizabeth Warren, she did not get back to us, or you, to be truthful. And Bob Casey, who was a Democrat in 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 my state. So the only bipartisan thing that I've seen that we've done in the last four years is stiff-arm me and not deal with this problem. And if you can't fix thou shalt not steal from American investors with no repercussions, then what are you worth as a lawmaker?
0: You know, from our perspective, it seems like something that's so evident. And, you know, as this film fully illustrates, like the problem is right there. We've given you all the evidence. But if I could just play the devil's advocate a little bit, from Elizabeth Warren's perspective, I mean, what can we surmise to be, why they are reluctant to take immediate action. Yeah, I
1: think, you know, part of the the big problem is the complexity and opacity of the situation. It's very, very hard to understand. There are multiple inflows and outflows of money and, and multiple legal structures going on, on, it, on at any one time. So there isn't a simple solution. It's very technical and very technically complex. And even if you put up certain rules, things shift around it as fast as the rules can come up. Um, and as Dan mentioned, and as, as we've talked about, there isn't really a great international cooperation between the Chinese regulators and the, and the American regulators. And I think that that goes both ways. You know, problems could be pointed out on, on all sides of that. But that complexity prevents people wanting to tackle it, because, you know, you get into the weeds and you don't come out with a solution. Um, I think that enables, to me, the, the complexity creates part of the opacity, and the opacity... Uh, you know, the muddy waters create the, the opportunity for fraud. Dan would have a better solution or maybe Dune as to how, you know, what what, what three steps could be proposed? I don't know the answer to that.
3: Don't, don't ask me. Don't <laughs> ask me that. I will say that to me, I did not. I never found this the sort of the ongoing story of the Chinese reverse mergers. I didn't find it depressing. Actually, I just was sort of rooting for this. I I really found it like I was rooting for the short sellers because Mm. that's what's so great about our system is that these short sellers, Dan looks great in his suit and he's running for Congress and like, he's all legitimate. But you know, there were all these, I was attracted, (laughs) I was attracted to the strange characters, you know, like anonymous Alfred Little. And I wrote a story about this dude in Texas you know, he was just annoyed. He was angry by the logic. John Bird. Yeah, by the, like just the totally irrational things that these companies were saying. So to me, it was always this like great story about these people, regular people in Skipack, New Jersey, in like Austin, Texas, just being like, "This is complete BS," and I'm going to write about it, and I'm gonna mi- and I'm gonna sort of make something happen here, which they did with the power of their
2: words. Free speech. <laughs> the power of free speech. And that's something that we have and we must cherish and we must hold on to. Uh, even when it hurts us individually, when somebody is saying something that we think is objectively wrong or hurtful, it is what we have that China does not have. And and that, that hurt them here. Because you can't write a short report in China. You just can't do it. So,
0: Right. I mean, that was also interesting to me what became apparent was that culturally and in terms of the political economic system and most importantly i think the exchange of favors i mean kind of how you know whether you work within the law or whether you just bypass it almost um completely as you were making the film um did, was, that some, was that an understanding you came in with? And also, what kind of challenges did it present? Because obviously, you know, they're, they're probably places you can't see and you don't know. And who knows whether they're going to throw you in j- the cameraman jail. I mean, what were those challenges that you discovered as you were filming? Or was that something you were quite aware of prior?
1: No, it was definitely something we discovered. I mean, we tell the story of, of Kuhn, who, who's, um, who did spend time in jail for basically doing this research. And people are very reluctant to speak about this in China because they can suffer terrible repercussions. Um, and even people in Hong Kong, where it's a, yeah. a bit different system, people were pretty reluctant to really go on the record about this for the same reason. Either they felt scared for their safety or they felt scared for their livelihood and their business contacts. Mm-hmm. And you know, I learned a lot about how some of the relationships function in China in ways that are different than here. And I think that that's of course fine. It's not like everything needs to function the same way, but I think in the absence of free speech, you do have a problem where when problems arise with companies, you can't criticize them. And even here in the US, I mean, we say in the film, you know, the biggest the biggest problem on the US side is not that there was fraud here. I mean, there there probably was some, but most of what happened in the US side was legal mm. and remains legal. And so Um, you know some of the folks profiled in the film may not be happy with the story that we're telling but we're not actually saying they did anything illegal we're saying that the system is problematic because it doesn't have accountability for some of the things that you that one can do within that are permitted within the system and so even when you have free speech I think uh, it needs to be accompanied by some mechanism of accountability.
2: Look I just want to add that when we were in Hong Kong we were not unconcerned that i was going to get arrested it was you know when i was on stage delivering my critical report in hong kong it was the first one that i know that was ever done i had my plane ticket in my pocket and you know jed was funny because he was like hey are you sure you want to do this you know i hope you don't want to, you don't get arrested because that that two one party two system thing is one party one and a half system these days He's like, just so you know, it would be good for the movie if you did. <laughs> so, so we will not stop filming as they drag you out of there. And you didn't
0: pull through, Dan.
2: I, I, I couldn't do it. But re- really, the legal legal problems I have are here. I've been sued. Well, I've been sued in months, which is great. I'm on a roll. Uh, but I've been sued several times for. 100 million dollars for 149 million dollars and these are by u.s law firms representing china companies who ended up being frauds and when the lawsuits are dismissed and they're all said and done these companies were delisted kicked out they're back in china but the u.s law firms are representing them they're getting paid they're suing me and it's all about the hassle and all about the money now let me ask you something Go to China and try to get one of their law firms to sue one of their big companies on your behalf and see if they'll do it. Because I'm telling you, they won't. Mm. And that's the problem. They use our free speech against us, they use our laws against us, our robust legal system against us, and and we have to realize that that's, that's part of the problem. I will continue to deal with lawsuits likely the rest of my life, speaking out, and in each case, I've been offered a settlement. Take your research down,
4: Mm.
2: stop what you're saying, this lawsuit goes away. And in each case I say no, we have free speech here and go fuck yourself. (laughs) I have to stop swearing, (laughs) my wife is so upset with me.
0: Your emphasis on, on, on um, free speech, which I applaud, but which I also know from reporting in China is just so, you know, has become increasingly difficult, you know, difficult to um, uh, abide by. And, you know, it's the regime has become increasingly repressive. And what I learned from this film was that, you know, this problem, you know, it, it's, it, it's tentacles, are are beyond just kind of the economy, what kind of economic entanglement, that politics is political regime. You know, Xi Jinping is what dictates, you know, whether there is the kind of freedom in China that we would like to see. And right now that freedom is very much being impinged upon. So So when you are unpacking the story, did you find that you were hitting up against that wall? The systems are so different. And I loved how in the story you say that Everyone in the U.S. is, by and large, you know, following the law. In China, there's like it's like the wild, wild west over there. You know, nobody's really following the law. There's so much opacity and there's no accountability. But so much of that is not quite because of the economic system. It's It's, it's because of the political system. So did you find that the root of the problem is beyond the economic realm?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's I think clearly there are there are elements of this sort of Western accounting system that are newer in China and probably not part of the the business culture to the extent that they are in the West. And I'm sure they are more in some places than others. There are, you know, there's arbitrage. I think it's sort of like information arbitrage between, on the one hand, you have these operators from the West who know how to set these deals up, Mm -hmm. who know how to recruit the companies in China, who know how to explain what they need to do and provide and who can connect them with capital in the West. And on some level, look, China is, you know, we talk about these frauds, right? But China is an enormous economy. China is does have all sorts of companies that are growing and that want to participate in the global economy. And that's a great thing, but it's so big mm-hmm. that, you know, inside of that, if there are these frauds, they can constitute an enormous amount of money. Mm-hmm. And it's probably hard to weed out the sort of the good from the bad, and there's no mechanism to do it. And in that space, that's the information Arbitrage that people can take, ad- bad operators can take advantage of. Mm. The capital flows we have are global, but the rules of the game are still uh, either ill-defined or local, and that gap is
2: where something like this kind of fraud flourished. To be fair to them, I took advantage of information arbitrage too. I mean, I sent a team to China and I filmed fraud. <laughs> I saw Potemkin villages, and I had that information before most people did. So. We're all taking advantage of information arbitrage. The difference is I made a lot less money telling the truth than frauds made telling lies. So it's, it's really all about the truth. And the one thing that we can take away from this movie that you don't see in the movie is how Americans work together here. There were very liberal people and very conservative people that all came together and put any of those issues aside and got this done, and and that's a beautiful thing in this day and age, when we can do that, and lifelong friendships out of it, on both political sides, and I think we should appreciate that.
0: I thought one of the mo- I mean most poignant bits in the film was when we go to Flint, Michigan, you know, and Ugh. we have that barbecue with your family, and uh, um, and I thought the tone that was struck was kind of and you know, I, I hope you guys agree here, it was so perfect because it was, it was not kind of, you know, you weren't taking yourself overly seriously. There was a wry quality to it, but it, you, you're doing this thing and the people that love you, your family, they kind of get it, but they also are like, why are you doing it? I mean, how, what's that been like, kind of explaining that to your, to your family, people who might not be at all familiar with the kind of the economic vocabulary that you deal with on a daily basis?
2: I would rather get in pitch battle with the government of China again, <laughs> than fight with Jed over going to Flint, Michigan. I this Tell us was, about that. Yeah, oh, it was it was it was awful. I did not want to go.
0: So whose idea was so so? It was, oh. it was my idea. <laughs> and why did you think that was? You know why why did you take that well, step? I thought
1: it was important to understand who Dan was as a pers- is as a person and what his motivations or how what his motivations were informed by. And I had also done another film, coincidentally, just before that in Flint. And so I had been there and I had some experience with it. And Flint was in year one and a half or two of its terrible crisis with the lead in the water and the contamination. So um, not that that's part of our story, but I felt like, you know, it informed how Dan felt about his family and his friends back there and how he felt about people who maybe had uh, invested and trusted their retirement savings to things that they didn't have any control over and that suffered from this. And so I felt like it's important to to just you know understand where where you're coming from, and you know you didn't want to go.
0: And what, yeah, Dan, I mean, what is your relationship? I mean, these are clearly people that you love and that you care deeply about, but they have such, it seems to me, just, you know, they have a very slim understanding of this world that you're in. Well, I mean,
2: I, I, you know, look, I don't know that I have much better understanding than you <laughs> or anybody else um, as an average American of, of, of fraud that's unknown uh, and not talked about and not reported to you by your government. I didn't want to go to Flint because it seems like every time somebody goes back there, it's, uh, you know, you're filming streets that look like bombed-out Beirut. And and that's not Flint. There are great people there. And, uh, you know, I just...
0: Have they watched it?
2: Uh, I don't think so. Uh, really? Yeah. You, you well, <laughs> it's not out yet, so they haven't watched it. I no, they will. They will. Not to film. <laughs> Scenes like that of homes like that and things of that nature. Of course, he did.
0: The director always has the last. Well, he, he
2: does, and, and look, that's his right. I have no editorial control, but I, you know, I want to show the resilience of Flint and, and the great people that are there, and it mattered.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that definitely. And I think showing their bombed-out
2: houses doesn't, because that's not what Flint's about. They're really, I go back there every year, and they're wonderful people.
1: I mean, there are definitely wonderful people, but there—that is also part
2: of the reality of that city. I mean, well, I mean, I think I could find that street in any city. I mean, I I really do.
3: I was gonna say that I think it was—it's interesting what you say that you know those, the people that you know your family who don't really understand this context or what you're doing. I mean, there were plenty of people who were just like them who invested in these Chinese reverse mergers because they were—they were investing in the dream, right? In sort of this totally. like idea yeah. of wow like all the pigs in china right you know <laughs> sort of, there's got to be a lot of them let's invest in a, you know a pork producer in china you know
0: yeah i just saw it well, so much China
2: about the largest pork producer in the united states well, last after. year that was Some after means with, <laughs> with what i could arguably say is money they stole from us but
0: <laughs> well we can certainly go on talking about this forever but I've been told that we should go we should you know turn it to you guys um if there are questions and um should we do...
3: okay thank you hi um first of all I want to thank you for telling a very complex or to understand story very simply and with a lot of heart and humor thank you yeah, um, so my question is, of the <coughs> hundreds of reverse merger companies, um, those that you found have committed fraud, how much are is that controlled by a few people, and how, how, much, how centralized do you think that was, or is this something that was fragmented, happened, you know, spread out among many people and just coincidentally happened with these reverse mergers?
2: It's a very interesting thing because people will call short sellers a cartel or <laughs> cadre of individuals who are working together, a wolf pack, they're going to bring down a company, which is just, you know, it just makes no sense systematically because shorting, there's only so much borrow. And in general, most short sellers hate each other. <laughs> they can't work together. But yes, there, there were, this was not something from this side anyway that was coordinated by our government or things of that nature. It was a select, call it 10 or 12 firms with key individuals. I don't even know that the worst offenders were in this movie. I could definitely make a case that they weren't. Definitely could make a case Dune, that they weren't. But it, it was, and, and, and they it was fraud school. They would go over, and, and this is what they would say to a Chinese operator over there. I mean, they maybe had no intention of ever committing fraud. And I say in here, like, a Chinese chicken farmer doesn't wake up one day and know how to defraud our capital markets. And it kind of makes sense to them when a deal maker from America comes over and says, how much bigger could your business be if I could get you $50 million? And they'd say, well, I'd do this, and I would do that, and I would do this, and this is how much bigger my business would be. And they'd be great. I can get you $50 million. Now what you have to do is tell everybody you're already that big. And by the time they find out, they'll never find out that you're not and you're gonna take this money and you're gonna get that big and everything will be fine. And when I show up with a camera and help, you know, all hell breaks loose, nobody on the American side wants to help that Chinese operator. And he's like, I thought we were friends, we had drinks, you know, <laughs> you know, we ate dim sum. And and they walk away from that guy and they say, look, just don't say a word, you're not prosecutable. And when when our DOJ or SEC goes to the American side, they say, well, it was him over there and they can't make a phone call over there. So it it was a smaller group than you would think, but it's very much so an investment bank related issue. Transactional.
4: Uh, Thank you so much um, for all of you for this really, really great work. Uh, congratulations, Jeff, this this is perfect. And uh, so I'm a journalist from China, I'm based here, and I'm reporting uh, financial market here. So of course, for the past two years, I've been writing a lot about the these Chinese companies coming listed in New York Stock Exchange. And one observation I have is that actually, thanks to the work that Dan and Dun and everyone have done here and before, Um, I just feel like it's a completely different scenario now, is that all those companies, that the smallest companies that I've never heard in China, they basically stopped coming here, and most of the good companies are coming, especially after 2015. So I was uh, wondering, do you guys feel the same way? What's your opinion on the current market now?
2: I do not feel the same way. You don't? (laughs) That may be shocking.
4: I'd love to hear more. (laughs)
2: Okay, well, look. So the most obvious frauds, uh, the Potemkin Villages, are much more difficult, right? So they know I have time-lapse surveillance, and if you say you have 50 trucks coming in and out a day, I will surveil you for, you know, 300 days. So we've taught them how to get more sophisticated in their fraud. And how they can do that is to add subsidiaries, on top of subsidiaries, on top of subsidiaries. So you have to pull more and more and more filings until you're looking at a thousand filings that you have to tie together like a puzzle. And you just have to ask yourself on on just, just a gut level, is it illegal in China to steal from an American citizen? The question, the answer to that question is still no. So nothing is going to change until the answer to that question is yes. You can make the fraud more complicated and more difficult. And some of these companies, you can't figure out their accounting. I mean, MIT grads can't figure out their accounting. They really can't. And forget about an auditor because, I mean, it's just not their job to go speak to a 1,000 subsidiaries to know that you have a 1,000 subsidiaries. They just can't do it. Uh, so it, it's getting more sophisticated. There are some good companies. I'm not painting the brush and saying every company from China is bad, but they have learned to make the fraud more sophisticated and not so blatantly obvious.
4: But also, I'm curious that you, uh, you guys are hinting, or at least um, in the end, that to Alibaba, like so, it's not only Alibaba, right? There are like big names here, mm-hmm. and they are really driving the growth, and they are in vanguard. They are in one of biggest ETFs and also um, the Chinese stock market going to MSCI and it's going to be available for all investors all over the world so mm. it's like what what what's what, yeah what's the ending what what's your view on alibaba and the whole
2: my take on that was like like first of all let's just understand the arc here the china fraud saga started under the bush administration in a very small way it exploded under the obama administration in a big way uh and trump was a candidate at this time like a president-elect when he's meeting jack moss he has no idea what's going on and i think what jet is saying and i I don't want to speak for him is and the beat goes on uh that you know nothing has changed from then to then to then and it's not a democrat or republican problem it's a we problem it's a we the people problem uh as far as Alibaba in and of itself, you know, I'm not saying they're a fraud. I don't think Jet said they're a fraud. I can tell you this. Their accounting is extremely difficult. Overly difficult. And you're shaking your head. You know it is. is. And you're a reporter in China. It's just, you know, I can figure out Google's accounting. They're a pretty big company. I can figure out Amazon's accounting and 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 how they actually file their K's and their Q's and their things of this nature, but good luck with Alibaba and how many subsidiaries they have and who owns what portion of what related party. I mean, it's just, that's one of the ones where an MIT grad could, could work the rest of their life trying to figure it out. I, I started walking the halls of Congress in 2013, and I thought, this is easy. Every senator or congressman's gonna get this and say, that's nuts. Let's go fix it. There you go. It's a you know, a bilateral investment treaty. I mean, I was so naive all the way around. Even when I even when I started finding these frauds, I didn't start shorting these companies. I didn't know what shorting was. I went to the investment banks and said, Hey, you don't want to represent frauds. And they're like, Well, you know, we get transaction fees. So I got very frustrated with Congress is in action. And I was talking with John Carnes. And John Carnes said, you know, we made a movie, me and another person, Sarah Gibson, in 2008, called IOU USA, uh, which uh, predicted the financial collapse of the US markets in August of 2008. Too bad nobody saw the movie, because it collapsed in September of 2008. But he had... Some contact Sarah Gibson, and and we we worked on this for a year uh, to meet with people, and John and Sarah. And you saw the film. John maybe isn't isn't kind of the great front guy to go and explain the story, but he is brilliant. Um, and I was able to meet with Frank Marshall from Kennedy Marshall, who then introduced me to Alex Gibney. Uh, from Jigsaw Uh, and then from there there were directors that were interested in this movie and I spoke to two or three directors that were like their attitude was yeah you know I'll do it (laughs) okay okay do you even understand what I'm talking about Uh, just because you've done some documentaries in the past doesn't mean that you can do this because there's a steep learning curve here Jad was the first one that came in and just had question after question in an intense interest to understand. And we really connected. In a bar, in Penn Station. <laughs> I happen to be, I'm traveling from New York back to Philadelphia, back and forth, and Penn Station's pretty local for me when I'm doing that. So I was on my way back, and Jed met me there, and that was the first place we met. And, and, and we really had more of a connection. I thought, Lyle, now this is somebody who's going to spend the time to understand this and tell a story in a way that other people can understand it. Where some of the other directors I met thought, well, I can work with Frank Marshall. He's the biggest guy in Hollywood. He's done Born Identity and Jurassic Park and all this other stuff. And I can work with Alex Gibney. And that didn't interest Jed at all. He was interested in the story. And I, you know, I went back to these people and I said, well, I think he's your guy. And if you know, you want to hear anything more from me, you should probably hire him
5: or not. <laughs> uh, thanks for the very powerful work. I have two questions. The first is when you see a house of cards, intuitively you think eventually it'll collapse. You highlighted a bunch of forces that prop up the house houses of cards. Can you comment on how independently these forces are working in their own self-interest? Let's say the under-resourced SEC aside, let, they'll always be under-resourced. But are these forces that prop up the frauds necessarily, ultimately, in cahoots, like working in concert, for this to continue, or can they continue acting independently, in their own self-interest? And the second question, uh, even in the best-case scenario, let's say the U.S. Ackman's short against Herbalife, right? He yeah. had the SEC. Uh, listening to him he has unlimited resources relatively Mm -hmm. and he had to end his short after many years so can you talk about how difficult it is to ultimately expose a fraud even in the best case scenario
2: yes Uh, look you know it's not fair to Ackman for me to look back and and criticize his tactics Uh, but it is very very difficult and tactically speaking you know, Carl Icahn and, and, and Bill Ackman had a long, acrimonious history. And, and Bill Ackman would dine out on the fact that he be Carl Icahn in a lawsuit 10 or 12 years ago. And I think at some point, Carl Icahn didn't care whether, in my opinion, her life was good or bad. You know, Carl Icahn is at an age where he has $15 billion. And if he loses $3 billion, sticking it up his ass for dining out on his name... He was going to do that. Um, That's my opinion because, really, Herbalife paid a $250 million fine. They didn't do that because they weren't doing nothing wrong. They had to substantially change their business practice. I wasn't involved in that trade at all. Not at all. But that's what can happen to you. When you're short and people know you're short and you have enemies, they can squeeze you for whatever reason. And maybe Carl Icahn just thinks Herbalife's a fantastic company and always did. Who knows? Um, and as far as these individual forces can they can they work against I mean any investment bank we have makes more profit in one quarter than the SEC has in their annual budget Do the math. I mean, what happens nowadays when these banks Wells Fargo last year, whoever it was, they commit fraud, right? What do they do? they pay a fine. How does a building? Commit fraud. How do brick and mortar commit fraud? How do glass and steel commit fraud? So they pay a fine, but you know what? Somebody there, a person, committed fraud, and nobody went to jail. And that's an American problem, with an American company, as well. So we have this problem that's pervasive. That now fraud is baked into the P and L, and it's just a fine if you have enough money. And that's where capitalism is having a hard time right now, that laws are not equally applied to everybody. Uh, and some of these banks start seeing some CEOs go to jail or some top-level executives go to jail for the actual fraud. And I think we'll see some progress.
0: Um, hi. I'm a former member of the press uh, reporting for an American paper out of Beijing. Um, so- Um, This Chinese SOE reverse merger fraud story, in my impression, I thought it was widely reported in the press, uh, thanks to the relatively high profile case of Peter Humphrey. Um, But then again, I saw you sitting in the cab in Hong Kong feeling like you're the only man who knows the world's going to end. I wonder as...
2: I don't as, know that I felt that way. But, I, mean, <laughs> I, I didn't make the movie. <laughs> right. So I felt like I needed a good edu- exit strategy with a backup plan.
4: <laughs> so
0: as a former member of the press, I thought that we put the story out there. But what um, I, I, I just wonder what, uh, what do you think that the press could have done more to warn the American public about this kind of frauds?
2: Well look, I'm I, I'm exposing fraud as, as a private citizen. You're the press. How about you do it? I mean No, no, no. You put the story out there after we expose it. I mean, when I grew up, when when I grew, and, and I to say you, you did a great job. I'm sure you did a great job. I'm not attacking you in any way. I'm just saying that when I grew up, the press exposed fraud. That's what they did, and they wrote about it. And now the press is run by lawyers here in the United States. Okay, and
3: wait. I have got to interrupt there because... <laughs> uh, you, be like, okay, the movie was incredibly well done yeah. and you guys simplified to a degree that allowed people to understand this very easily. But I would say you skipped over some steps. Naturally, yeah. you do that in any story. Yeah. And, you know, there had been a lot written about this and there had been, uh, there had been a lot written about this mm. and some very, very good stories on it. In barons and, and in a lot of places, great. right? And Bill and Alpert it, was great. You know, and, it's, and you were great. And it's not so you can't really say that like the press was. I mean, that's another advantage well, the pre- that we have here. The
2: press here. has that's- a cycle, and you, and and you know, once you get through that cycle, you're on to the next cycle, and you are, and you do <laughs> under, you do you have to admit there there are lawyers that are all over everything that is going out to the press, going out through the press, and it's it's not as freewheeling as it used to be. No,
1: but I, I do think that there, there was there were a lot of great stories from different reporters, many of whom, like I, you, I are, do are in the film, and others, for and others who were not in the film, but who we spoke to on background. Yeah. And I think I'm I'm not familiar with your work, but I'm sure you you did some great stuff on it. Uh, I think the the larger point is that much of that work was in the business press. Uh, there was some in the sort of general press. It's true, but I think the bulk of it and the bulk of what um, was widely known was in the world of finance and business press, which is fine, it's an arcane topic. I still think, I would stand by that um, partly because it's so complicated and because it's so far away and because it's not on the front of mind for most people and other things are going on. It was just just not a story that was widely known um, in the general public, and yet the general public are the people who put their money into all these mutual funds uh, and pension funds and are affected by this at the end of the day but I don't think I don't want to say that this, the press wasn't doing anything I think the press was doing their job it was just a it was a niche story because it was a niche subject
3: well I think what's important is you're you're totally right Dan. like every every the press has a cycle right so you you could only write about so many reverse merger frauds right and it like went on through 2012 and like eventually it's just like so many little stories so it's but, so what's really important is to come back to it and like write the whole arc of it, right? So when you go absolutely. back and you and you talk to Mr. Snodgrass in Houston, you know, and you you see there was who the the real people that this impacted. It's not just like oh there was this story and then it all disappeared, right?
0: Right. I mean, as a you know a fellow journalist, I mean, I did not kind of know the extent of this until I watched the film, and you know, I'm a member of the. Pressed, ostensibly, um, but uh, but you know, uh, I I think I think that um, uh, but that that sort of is you know the power of this film that it kind of gives you the arc as you say, kind of the, the trajectory, and also it really does humanize it. I think in a way that maybe like an eight hundred word story can't really do when it's just capturing kind of one data point in this larger um, in this larger story. And uh, on that note... Uh... Well, can I just say one oh, thing? Oh, yes, come
2: on. I... Where, where, where he's right about in the Business Journal and the cycles and things, but where we miss it is people don't really understand. A lot of people don't think they're invested in a mutual fund or anything else. So, the, so it becomes, how does it affect me? And, and I'm out there campaigning, and I'm talking about teachers' unions in Pennsylvania that lost millions or state employees' unions that have lost millions. And, and constituents still say... Well, the you know, Teachers Pension Fund lost millions, how does that affect me? Well, you know what, it's underfunded, and when we have to fund it, your taxes go up. <laughs> then they're like, oh, that's how it affects me. And that's kind of how we have to write stories, how it affects individual people. And one of the best stories I, I read was in the New York Times when Floyd Norris wrote about Pouda Cole, and the expose, I don't know if you read that, um, that we did on Pouda Cole, he said, by the way, the New York Times was invested in a pension fund that held pool to coal, and I as a reporter lost money. And that was the last sentence. And I I think we have to make that more clear to people.
1: I just wanted to thank everybody for coming and for your uh, watching this and for your patience, and thanks to the New America Foundation again and to Tumblr for hosting this. And just, I wanted to mention that the film is coming out on March 30th in theaters here and in uh, 15 or so other cities. Uh, and also, um, Philadelphia. Uh, um, I, we well, we can find that out. I don't, I'm not sure. You can ask Magnolia. Uh, and, and it's going to be uh, available on same day on uh, iTunes and Amazon and on demand. So if you liked it, please spread the word. And um, thank you again very much for watching.
3: Thank you for
0: listening to this New America NYC podcast. This recording carries a Creative Commons, non-commercial, 4.0 international license. To learn more about New America, please visit us at newamerica.org.